It's nice to see you all, these smiling faces. Happy New Year. Can we still say that? It's two weeks in. I think last Sunday was the first Sunday in, in our history that we've had to cancel church. And so that was a little different. <laughs> Hopefully we won't order one of those up again. But thank you for your, your patience and for coming back uh, this morning. It's a great time. So we're going to begin at the beginning this morning. Okay, the pencils are out. All right. The first word in the Hebrew Bible is bereshit. It means in the beginning. Most of the books in the Old Testament were named that way, whatever the first word was. Transliterated, tra- uh, translated into uh, Greek, we get Genesis. It means in the beginning. Genesis is the beginning of all of creation. The beginning of God's great big story. It's the origin story of, of humankind, creation, and our salvation. It's the very beginning of the gospel. That's why we're calling the series The Gospel in the Beginning. The, the good news that God has created this, this world for us to inhabit and for us to enjoy and for us ultimately to, to know and enjoy fellowship with God. As we saw in our last series, it uh, seems like forever ago, doesn't it? It's like weeks ago. Uh, in our series, um, Jesus on Every Page, we saw that, that Jesus is the centerpiece of everything God is doing. And all the story of, of the Bible, all 66 books of the can that make up Scripture, it's all about what Jesus is doing. But here we get to start at the very beginning, a good place to start. Now, the key to understanding Genesis is to keep in mind who was it written for, who was the original audience, and why was it written down for them. Jews and Christians, traditionally, up until maybe only 200 years ago, uh, it was widely accepted that it recognized that Moses was the author of the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch. That's another Greek word. It means five books or, or five scrolls. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books. It's a five-set uh, it's, it's, it's five books all telling the opening story of God from Moses' perspective. And, and that's an important piece that we're going to get into because the, the Pentateuch, these first five books written roughly 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus, they tell the story of God's people. So, so you have God's chosen people. They're out wandering somewhere out in the Sinai Desert, and they're trying to figure out How did we wind up here? Where did we come from? And most importantly, where are we going to end up? Is God truly going to to lead us to a promised land? That's the context. And these are the people that, that Moses is writing to. He's leading and he's putting this down. And the answer resoundingly is yes, Yes, there is a land. Yes, there is a purpose. Yes, there is a plan. And all of God's promises will be fulfilled, he says in his word to them. And so ultimately, uh, Genesis, we have to understand, is written for God's covenant people. Trying to answer these big questions, where do we come from and where are we going? So it's about God. The ultimate being outside of time and space as we can perceive it, who created a world that is very good, but we'll see as we go through the pages of Scripture, it was ruined by sin, 
It was eventually destroyed by a flood. It was remade. And then what happened again? Spoiled again by sin. You see this uh, pattern. We'll see it again and again. Creation, sin, meaning we, we messed it all up, and recreation. As we go through the, the grand story of Genesis, there are 50 chapters in Genesis. We are not going to read uh, standing together all 50 chapters. We will read the first chapter this morning because it sets the, the, the tone and the perspective and the worldview that we need to have throughout the whole series that starts today and goes all the way to our celebration of Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Now, there's this pattern, as I mentioned, creation, sin, and, and, and recreation. And there's a pivotal moment uh, in chapter 12. And our own uh, Joe, where's Joe? Is Joe here? Joe Fancy? Oh, he's, he's with 628 leading uh, uh, Sunday school. He's going to preach a pa- uh, the, the scripture, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. This grand story of, of creation comes and it zeroes in on one family, Abraham and Sarah, where God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a, a blessing to all of the nations. That God promised a land, descendants, and a special relationship. And we'll talk about the nature of that special relationship. We use the word covenant. It's a very special word, a very special form of relationship. So, so with Genesis, and really all of the five uh, books of Moses, the Israelites were, were assured there is one true living God, and God is for us, and he has made us his people. That's the message of Genesis and all of the first five books of the Pentateuch. Have you read it? No show of hands. No, it's Okay. I assume that many of us here have, but I also know for a fact that most people in our community, uh, in our post-Christian culture, have not either read it or understand the book of Genesis. And so my hope is that this series would would shed some light and some insight, and I would encourage you to take time on your own to read through the book of Genesis. Stop by the next environment right after the service and ask uh, some leaders there how to get into reading the scripture. Maybe that could be a New Year's uh, plan for your life. Genesis reveals the depth of God's grace and love. And now you see, look at the title here, the gospel in the beginning. When we hear gospel, uh, our, our minds immediately click to good news, right? It's supposed to be good news. And we'll see even here in the first pages of scripture, that good news that God has for each and every one of us. Because as we go through it, we'll see God calls frail human beings to repent, to turn from their old wicked ways, and to turn to God in relationship. And so we'll look at the stories of Adam next week, and Noah, and Abraham, and and Isaac, and Jacob, and and Jacob's son, uh, Joseph. and, And each of them, each of them is profoundly flawed individuals. They're really kind of messed up people, aren't they? And isn't that good news for us? Because I'm flawed. That God would call broken people, ill-equipped for their mission, people to say, don't use me, God. I'm, I'm not up for this challenge. And yet God chooses them, calls them forth, empowers them, and assures them the mission will be fulfilled. Not because of their faithfulness, because they're all going to mess up. As we read, spoiler alert, they're all going to mess up. But because of his faithfulness. 
Friends, that is, that's good news. You're trying to figure out this walk with Jesus, the life that he's calling you to, and you think, well, how could God use me? I, I, I don't know the Bible. He's talking about Genesis. I've never actually read it. I, he can't use me. This is a book filled with accounts of ill-equipped, broken, flawed individuals used for a greater purpose for God's glory. We'll see that in the pages of Scripture. So, so really, as we read this, we're going to see a story of God's grace and God's love, how God makes promises and keeps those promises. Through these origin accounts, uh, Moses uh, was teaching the people that there are one of two ways to live. And really, you can read all of Scripture in this, in this light. Choose life and light or choose darkness and death. That's how he lays it out to them in the final sermon in Deuteronomy. He lays it out to the people, here are the choices that you have, and those will be the choices before each and every one of us every time we come during this series to open up Scripture, yes, to look at Genesis, but not to dissect it, but to deep, deeply, deeply understand what God is saying to us, the invitation that God is calling us to make, to choose life in this first account of God's revelation. So that's what Genesis is. It's a book about covenant, relationship, promise, gospel, purpose, worldview, implications. It is not a science book, and it is not an encyclopedia. Let me give you just a little bit of of structure to our our series that we're going to be going through these these next 14 weeks. As I said, we're not going to read every uh, chapter and verse of it. We're going to have to have the 30,000-foot view of of Genesis to cover all 50 chapters. So if you're taking notes, (coughs) this passage is followed by 10 sections. It's laid out in 10 sections in the book, each beginning with the words, these are the generations of. Or this is the account of. And so as you go through your own Bible, you can, you can mark, oh, section 1, section 2. It's divided between chapters 1 to 11, which is the, uh, the primitive history, the primeval history, the early history, prehistoric history, these grand narratives of, of creation. We have the story of the flood that David's going to be preaching on in, what, two, three weeks from now. Uh, the Tower of Babel. chapters 1 through 11, creation, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Then we come to chapter 12, and it focuses down into one little family that's called out of their homeland to go on a mission for God. So the first section is, uh, the first section is 20%. That second section, chapters 12 to chapter 50, make up 80%. And that's the patriarch's history. of, of uh, This is Israel's founding fathers of, of Abraham, uh, through whom the nations will be blessed, and Isaac and Jacob and his son Joseph. Spoiler alert. It's because of Joseph, the Israelites ended up in Egypt in the first place. So you have, to, you have to read the very end of the story, like, oh, that's why we ended up here. And then 400 years pass, and then you pick up the book of, of Exodus. Beginnings are important. Beginnings are important to help and to understand a worldview shaped by God's revelation to us. Especially now, in a world that is post-Christian, a world that is, has rejected but transcended in so many ways. Now more than ever, it's time for us to open God's word 
for us to rediscover, for our children to discover, even for the first time, our origin story. Where do we come from? And where are we going? With that, we're going to read this beautiful revelation this morning. It is a rather lengthy passage. If you're not able to stay, remain standing, remain seated. Uh, but I would invite um, uh, Natasha to come, and she's going to be reading from the ESV translation this morning's uh, passage because I think the English Standard Version is a very strong, uh, uh, beautiful translation of Genesis chapter 1 uh, through the chapter into chapter 2. So with that, Natasha, where is she? Oh, there you're right here. Let's stand together to hear God's word read. The creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters and were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God saw, said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and the fruit bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creature and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves in which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds 
and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the grounds according to its kind. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So man created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was good, so good. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was heaven and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The ending of God's word. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> the one true, eternal, incomprehensible, most holy God, maker of heaven and earth, takes center stage. Genesis 1 was in sharp contrast to the many false religions and myths of that time surrounding Israel. Myths and religions that taught that there were many gods, polytheism, or that, that God is in everything, all of created things, pantheism. These gods were, were crafted, and they crafted things out of stuff. They would take dirt, and they'd craft something. There, here it is. Only the one true God, the one true God, created everything out of nothing. This would come to mind to the chosen people who heard this account. What modern conceptions are in sharp contrast today? I would say I'd put before you the erroneous theory that, that so many hold as religion. If you think there's not dogma and religion everywhere in all thought, you're sadly mistaken. They hold it as firm religion that matter is eternal or that matter is all that there is or that the universe is just a cold, dark, random accident. When we hold it up to the light of Scripture, that gives way to a design and to a designer and to beauty and to purpose. Desire who took the chaos and filled it with order and took the darkness and brought light. So you can remember, Israel had escaped Egypt a place where there were temples and pyramids to 
any number of gods. I don't know, earth, wind, and fire gods and animal reptile gods. And they're, they're trying to make sense of it. That's all they knew. That's all they were conditioned to know. And so you hear this account of the one true God who says, you will be my people and I will be your God. The one true God who creates everything out of nothing but by his word that God creates this order. Now, we don't have time to get into the, the order and, and details of, of this chapter that Natasha read for us. I, I was figuring it would take about nine sermons to attempt to try to adequately dive into a, an introduction and then all seven days of creation and then sort of like a, what did we just hear? There's just not enough time to, to adequately look at God's six work days and, and one day of of rest, but I would say this as the children are coming in, come on in, kids. Come on, hi. I love their waving, but like, hi, yeah. What a gracious God we have to accommodate, to accommodate to our limited, finite understanding to reveal his created order in a relatable way, in a way that we can understand. What a good God we have. Rob just shared the story of, of how they have baby Phoenix, all seven weeks old of her, in her car seat on a clothes dryer to make her happy. And that's the world to her. That's the universe, right? And she probably thinks she's got it all figured out. But she has parents. And there's a whole world outside that door that she's yet to know. Yet in a way that we can know, God has shared with us what we need to know. And there's not enough time to get into all the theories and debates of, of well-meaning, um, honorable, faithful Christians who debate over the issues of Genesis. Are we looking at 24-hour uh, days? Is this, is this uh, gap theories and geological ages, literary analysis? And I will tell you, because I had a little mini break there. Remember, we didn't have church last week. I had all this extra time. <laughs> Staff were like, can he please start reading, writing sermons again? Because he's in our office too much. I just, I've got so much to do, so much more to read. I read stacks of extra books on this matter of creation and all the debates. And, and what matters is what is revealed in Scripture. And what's re revealed is what really happened in reality. In reality, these are exalted prose written so that God's people would celebrate the boundless creativity and goodness of our creator. Amen? That's the purpose that we're to have. There's a beautiful elegance to the text, and I would encourage you to go back over it, even this afternoon, to, to reread chapter 1. Days 1, 2, and 3 are days of forming, where God is, is forming the earth, suitable uh, for humankind. And days 4, 5, and 6 are days of filling. So days of forming and days of filling creation to make it suitable for flourishing life plus a seventh day of rest and we've talked about this that day of rest of total satisfaction for what god had done there's naming and blessing there's creating of of humankind of, of mankind and there's rest and there's a call even as we read these words and we settle in with the children now with us to worship Worship our creator. But let's see what we can at least cover a little bit before we come to the table. 
I want to point out just two main things. Number one, God is personal. God is personal. God speaks and names and blesses. And here, note, it says throughout uh, this text, Elohim, the name for God, 35 times. Who's the center of the story? Not me and you. God's the center of the story. Elohim, the name for God. But from here on out, in chapter 2 onward, it will be Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. When you see those capital letters, capital L-O-R-D, that is the representation, the tetrahedogram of, of God's name, the personal covenant name that God gives to his people, that he wants to relate to us, not as some impersonal, distant uh, creator of a clock that just sets it on time and walks away but no, a personal, intimate father. That's how Almighty God, Spirit, transcendent, has revealed himself to us as Father. You go all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. It's looking at creation that should call us to worship with all of creation and all of God's angels. So God is personal and God created out of nothing. Ex nihilo. God created everything out of nothing. And the creator is distinct from his creation. The creator exists before speaking creation into existence. All of the universe, 600 trillion miles across, and I have this as, as scientific proof, there are exactly a bazillion galaxies in the universe. <laughs> you, you can quote me on that. But God ordered up. He just rang the bell. Here's the order. What an awesome creator we have. What a magnificent scale. We walk out to Lake Wilderness uh, today, and it looks like it's going to be a sunny day. The mountain will be out. You look at that mountain. Millions of years for God. There. Mountain. It's probably going to blow eventually. He knows exactly when. We don't. <laughs> Big scale and small scale. Every subatomic particle, quark, electron, neutrino, God orders it, fashions it, and calls it to move. Remember, this account is, is well-written for its main purpose, which is to enable a community of nomadic people in Sinai in the desert to celebrate the boundless creativity and goodness of the Creator. They weren't thinking about the Milky Way and galaxies or quarks. I don't even know what that is. I had to ask Jonathan. What a wonder. What a wonder that we live today on God's green earth. Not only that we're here, but we're in the United States with such incredible advances in technology and science and STEM research. Not only in the United States, but we are in the Pacific Northwest. Not only that, Washington State, the best, right? <laughs> right? See, if you're losing your crowd, you got to like give them a little, come on, right? Yeah. Oh, boy. Pandering to the audience. No, but honestly, our students, you're getting the best education and we need that. We want our students to pursue answers about creation, to seek knowledge in science, technology, engineering, and math. 
And what an amazing time to have students uh, in our midst who are pursuing the arts. We need poets and artists who will touch heaven for us and help put words to it and, and dance and movement and paint on canvas. Understanding this prologue to the gospel according to its purpose, to shape a worldview in which science is at home. Let me, let me just say that again. Reading Genesis, and Genesis 1 in particular, will help to shape a worldview in which science is at home with our faith, where wonder and awe are nurtured. That's what we want for our kids. I, I'm so glad that they came in this morning for communion. I'm talking about a view of the world that starts with God, the first cause, who caused everything, and made it perfectly suited for humans to enjoy and to be good stewards of. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That's something that humankind have understood for a long time. It seems like only yesterday in the grand scheme of history that we've forgotten that. Is it any wonder that all humans share the capacity of language, of moral judgment, rationality, intelligence, and appreciation for beauty, unlike and beyond the powers observed in, in any other creatures? Any science that ignores this fact does not faithfully describe reality. We have a great responsibility. God has appointed humankind to tend to and care for and oversee creation as representatives, uh, as representatives to rule on his behalf, to make the world a place where more life will flourish. Now more than ever, we need to care for the earth and to be good stewards of it. So to be an a Christian environmentalist is not an oxymoron. And finally, God gives a model to live by. Six days of work and one day of rest. And that's something we've, we've talked about. We've, we've spoken with one another about. We've had compass point classes and we've talked about it uh, from the pulpit and in home groups, how important it is to find that rhythm in life, the way you were designed to live, written into our hearts. Let me ask you, how do you feel about the world around you today? Maybe the question that the Israelites were asking was the same question some of us are asking. How did we wind up here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? The description in Scripture in Genesis, this beautiful creation, and then at the end in Revelation 22, and that's where we're going at the end of this year, going through, and we will cover every verse in the book of Revelation uh, in 22. What gives a perfect creation and a garden and a perfect city in heaven? And there's something in between that's missing. St. Augustine wrote this, Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. God has placed eternity in your heart. That longing, that sense that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, that's been written into your source code. That God has created us to be in right relationship with him and with one another, and yet we have a bent towards sin. We have a bent towards rejecting God, 
going our own way. We're sitting there in that car seat, spinning around. And each and every one of us, just like Moses said in his final sermon to the people of Israel, each and every one of us today has a choice to make. Will we choose life and light or dead-end street? That sense that there's more to life, something transcendent, that's a, a desire that's been written on your heart. The creation is good, so, so good. God says it's so, but now things aren't the way they're supposed to be. That's why it's called the beginning of good news. You have to watch and see and listen to the very end. God has made a stunningly beautiful world, and, and in Genesis, we'll, we'll see about how God is putting it back together again. If, if we don't care about putting the world right again, but this world, the world that we live in, then we can say all that we like about Jesus and getting into heaven, but friends, we are not fulfilling our mission. Like our, like our spiritual ancestors, we are surrounded by, by other belief systems. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a dogma. Everyone's got a doctrine that they're holding up. And they're not all benign. Many are extremely dehumanizing and damaging. And yet they are incredibly persuasive and well-funded. And we're tempted as believers to kind of recoil and think, oh gosh, what do we do? Heaven's the Betsy, what do we say? We don't have any answers to the big questions. Neither do they. We have the best answers to the questions that God has revealed to us. Friends, we're, we're tempted instead to acquiesce, to say, okay, meet us halfway, to, to accept a humanistic, materialistic meaning, all there is is material, atheistic, and reluctantly without protest, we try to blend the two together. And, and I would say to us that it's our, it's our purpose as this church and as your pastor to be a, a man of God who, who has fear of God and not fear of man. And so to preach the gospel clearly, truthful, truthfully, explicitly, and start in dialogue, but not in acquiescing to the beautiful humanizing ways that God has given to us in his scripture. I'll end with this. I'm looking out, I'm seeing folks thinking, yeah, but yeah, I have some questions though. Yeah, there's some questions about Genesis, right? You have any questions about Genesis? Yeah, join the club, get in line. In his final sermon to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 29, 29, these are the, the parting words that Moses gives to his people. He says this, quote, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Moses wrote to people who had lots of questions, different questions than the kinds of questions that we are asking and trying to sort out. Faithful interpreters disagree on Genesis, on all sorts of things. And we would put those all in the category of the secret things of God. We'll, we'll never solve them all. We're never going to satisfy everyone and make, make sense of the things that we need to take on faith, including all the mysteries in these opening pages of Scripture. But what is revealed is our responsibility. 
in these authentic writings of what matters most, who God is, how the cosmos was created out of nothing, why it was created, who we are, and the choice before us that each of us must answer. So my prayer is that during the series, really that this would spark awe and worship in you, a desire to, to worship the Lord God, to know him more intimately and to seek him out. And that we would see God's promises unfolding in the first pages of scripture, answered in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's word says all his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Let's pray. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above all ye heavenly hosts. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Lord God, you created out of nothing in the midst of that void, chaos and darkness. And some of us here now, Lord, are feeling a void in our lives, gathering looming clouds of darkness, chaotic circumstances that are beyond our control. Would you please, Lord, speak a word into that, even as your spirit hovered over, over, hover over us now, even as we see in these opening pages of Scripture, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and minister to us now. Prepare our hearts to come and celebrate at the table this foretaste of the kingdom to come, that we would be united to Christ. We'd be drawn closer to you, Lord Jesus, in this time. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Speak a good word into us now, we pray. Amen.